Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. And uh, I'm glad to be back. I was gone a week. And so because of that, I only have one verse to preach today. Otherwise, we'd be here till about one o'clock because I have a lot to say. And uh, it's been good. It's been good. It's good to see you. Great worship. AJ, thank you for your music today and uh, for the way it blessed. Good to see our students here up front. I always like seeing you all here. When I was in church, I sat in the very back. And uh, But I appreciate you all being here. This is good. It's good to have you here. If you're visiting, we hope you have been welcomed in our church. We do have an event tonight, and I want to remind you of the visitation tonight for Bill and Betty Holbrook. Uh, both at Burroughs Funeral Home. Their funeral will be here tomorrow, 2 o'clock. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. This is our third message. Jacob uh, wonderfully did. The second message, it's really a series in a series on uh, John chapter 3. We're going to cover just one verse today. It's all we got. One verse. A lot to say in one verse. John three sixteen. You all know it. You may not know the Holman translation that I'm going to read from today, but you know it. And you've heard it. I would dare say I was, I was, I had our granddaughter Elizabeth and, uh, Ava yesterday afternoon. I said, Ava or Elizabeth, have you heard who's eight? Do you know John 316? And she looked at me kind of funny. She said, for God. I said, that's right. That's right. She knew it. You guys have taught her that in SunQuest. I appreciate it. We should all know it. We should know more than know it. It ought to be in our heart. We've been singing about love of God today. Boy, if you don't feel love today, you didn't read it. And uh, God loves us a lot. It's an overwhelming thing. That great song that AJ sang, I just it just touches my heart. One verse. I'm just going to read one verse and then we're going to preach. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. His one and only son. It all rides on him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Speak clearly with your spirit. May we see how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've seen in John Jesus' confrontation of the leader, Pharisee, Sadducee, teacher, Nicodemus. Nicodemus came up to Jesus at night. He began this, this passage and he just spoke to him. He just, he just came up and maybe we said maybe he wanted to talk to him at night. Maybe he wanted to get away from the crowd. Maybe as a teacher, he wanted to have special time with him. And he gave Jesus a compliment. He said, you know, we've seen all these things that you're doing and we know God is in this. We know this is from God because these things couldn't be done. And Jesus didn't say, thanks, I really appreciate that. I'm humbled by your comments. He didn't say anything. He went right to it. And he said, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And he saw right into his heart. I want, I want you to know today, I don't, I don't see into your heart. But Jesus does. He knows your heart. He knows where you are with him. This is, this is a powerful a powerful scripture to look into our heart. And he taught us several things then as he began to explain the new birth. And this is what it, what it is. It's a work entirely of God. It's not something that you do. It's not something that I do. It's not something that you will or direct. It's something that God does. It's just like your first birth. You didn't decide that either. 
God decided that also. But in your new birth, God decides. He chooses it. It's, it's his work. Um, we can't predict how it will work. We don't know what the end result will be. God, when you're reborn, you're going to be a different person. You don't know in what way you're going to be a different person. You might be a different person because you're headed in a whole new direction. You might be have a whole new interest. You might have whole new desires. Some of the things you used to want to do, you no longer want to do. The Spirit will work as it will, as He will. The Spirit is it's God working inside of you. He's going to change your life. He's going to make you different. And the new birth is a work of repentance and forgiveness. Jesus said, of the water and the blood. It's of repentance. You can't, you can't be reborn without repentance. You can't be reborn unless you recognize that you are inadequate before God, that you're a sinner. That's very important. And, and with God's power, you, you give up your sin. You say, Lord, I, I, with your power, I'm going to turn and go in a new direction. That's repentance. You're a new person. And I told you, sometimes, you know, we're, I, I'm a work. I, we're all works in progress. And God will do this over time. He'll do it his time. He might do some radical things in your life. Some things take a lot of time. But that's what new birth looks like. Dale Moody, great preacher around the beginning of the, the end of the 19th century, late 1800s. He, he founded Moody Church, would become the Moody Bible Institute. But uh, Dr. Moody was traveling in England. He met a fella, young preacher named Donald Morehouse. And uh, everybody knew about D.L. Moody. He was the Billy Graham of the day. And he didn't get on an airplane, fly anywhere. He had to get on a ship to sail. And he sailed to England to preach a series of sermons. He met Donald Morehouse. Uh, Mr. Morehouse came up to him, introduced him as a preacher of the gospel. And boy, what a great privilege that is to be able to meet a great preacher. I love to meet the great preachers of today. I like, if I can just, I don't care to have a lot of personal time with them, but I like to just speak to them. I like to hear them. I like to hear what they have to say. And so Donald Morehouse said, uh, it's really great to meet you, Dr. Moody. And, and D.L. Moody said he did something he didn't normally do. He said, well, I tell you what, young fella, if you ever come to Chicago, let me know and I'll let you preach in my church. Now, that would be like me going to the First Baptist Church of Dallas. And the preacher says, I tell you, when you come to Dallas, I'll let you preach in front of this church of 20,000 people. People just don't do that kind of stuff. D.L. Moody said after he said it, I thought, why did I do that? And so he said, I hope this guy never calls me. <laughs> but a few months later, he got a telegram. He didn't have cell phones then. He got a telegram. He said, Dr. Moody, I'm in Chicago. I'll be there Sunday, Morehouse. <laughs> and D.L. Moody said, what am I going to do? He went to his, he said his most trusted spiritual advisor was his wife. And he went to his wife and he said, well, what should I do? She said, you ought to let him preach. He went to the elders of the church. I guess he was hoping that maybe they would give him a different idea and said, you ought to let him preach. So he said, okay, young fella. He said, I'm going to be out of town next week. He said, I want you to preach about four or five services for me. Well, that was in a day. They didn't have nice microphones or sound systems or things like that. And so Donald Morehouse came to Moody Church and he began to preach. And when D.L. Moody came back in midweek about Tuesday or so, he asked his wife, he said, how's that young fella doing? And she says, oh, Dwight, he says, he's, 
He's wonderful. He's better than you are. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> He's better. Than... <laughs> he says, He's preaching that God loves sinners. And he says, everybody loves it. He says, he's preaching God loves sinners. And, and D.L. Moody was about to get roused up. She said, yeah, he's preaching right out of John 3.16. And so D.L. Moody said he went that night and said, Donald Morehouse got up again. And he said, I've been searching all week for a scripture better than John 3.16. And I can't find it. He said, so I'm going to preach on it again. And D.L. Moody said he never had heard the love of God like that. In, in a way that he had heard from that young fellow. It changed his whole life and his whole ministry. I'm going to tell you, this verse will do that. I'm going to go through it phrase by phrase for you. I'm going to put it up. I want you to see it. I want you to understand it. I, I want you to know, I, if you leave today and you don't know how much God loves you, then we missed it. For God loved the world in this way. And the way you probably have in your Bible, it would say, he so loved the world. But in this way is, is very accurate. He gave his one and only son so that everybody who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I have five points that are right out of the text. Let's get started. Number one, God loved the world in this way. He loved the word world. It is an action in the Greek. It's a past Verb completed and it's ongoing. It continued. God loved this way and he continues to love in this way. We've sang about the love of God. We've talked about it. We, we, we just can't comprehend it. The, the writer of the song that AJ said, he said, if, if you just tried to write it down, it would take a whole ocean of ink. It would exhaust it to understand what the love of God means. That God loves the world in this way. He loves all of us. But you know, folks, and, and I know you, you, I don't want to offend you or hurt your feelings, but you and I are not very lovable to God. We, in our state, are not the kind of people that God loves because we're not holy and righteous. And he is holy and righteous. I want you to recognize that the holy, righteous creator of the world, of the universe, loves you personally, and he loved you from the beginning of time. Before time, the writer of Ephesians says, before the foundations of the world, God, God laid in place a plan for you and I to be saved. He knew what kind of people we were. He knew who we are. Paul said, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us have. Now, I know some, sometimes you, you might not think you have. Sometimes you might think you're pretty good. But in the eyes of God, you're not pretty good. I'm not pretty good. I'm not good enough. I'm far, far away. I found a passage of scripture that I thought would be helpful. John or or Paul writes in Ephesians. He says, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. That is the non-believers in the futility of their thoughts. You know, before you come to Christ, your thoughts are futile. They're not worthwhile to God. Now, they might be worthwhile to you. They might be interesting to your spouse and to your friends and to your kids. But to God, they're futile. They are worthless. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Before Christ, we're excluded from things of God. And that was absolutely the way I was. I, I didn't care about the things of God. They didn't matter to me. They weren't important. 
And, and when Christ came into my life and began working, then all of a sudden his, his word became very important to me. And the, the things that people said about him were very important to me. Excluded from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. When I read that, you don't sound very lovable. But I want you to know that God loves you anyway. He knows that. He knows you better than you ever thought you know him. That you know, he knows him. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you. If you're married, I know your wife or husband thinks they know you better. They, they don't know you better than God knows you. God knows everything, every thought, every intention, every desire, everything about you. And yet he loves you and has loved you for eternity. I'll, church, isn't that great stuff? I asked when Jacob and I were talking about this, I asked him to save this passage of scripture for me. I said, don't, don't, don't walk on this if you can help it, if you can do it. He didn't, he didn't. We read this a lot. Yeah, thank you, Jacob. We, we do this a lot. We, we read this passage in Romans 8 a lot and we kind of go through it and say, boy, it has a nice ring to it. But I want you to listen to it. This is, this is how much God loves you. This is how powerful his love is. Because there's somebody out there sitting there, yeah, I know he loves me, but. But I've had this in my life, or this has happened to me, or this. There, there are no exclusion clauses to this love that God has. He, he loved you, he has pursued you, he has provided a plan for you, he has given you his word, his hope, as a promise. He loves you eternally. Listen to what Paul says. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can? That, that's what he said. That's a, that's a taunt. He said, who can separate us? It's like me standing up here in front of a big bully when I was 10 years old and saying, you can't do anything to me. (laughs) Been a big false statement there. (laughs) But this is absolutely the word of God. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes through this. He says, can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He says, no. In all of these things, we are more than victorious through Christ Jesus. More than victorious. Through him that loved us. There's no... And then, then he goes on like me. See, I, I always... I would read that and I say, yeah, I know, but... But here's the but. These for all these people that say but. And then he says in verse 38, he says, for I am persuaded. I am persuaded. He goes through 10 things now. And these are the ranges of everything. You can't, there's not anything that you can imagine that would fall outside this scope. He says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, death or life, death or life, anything in death or anything in life, there's anything, nor angels, there are not any rulers. The Caesar who would stamp out Christianity in his own mind, they would not defeat Christ. They would not defeat the love of Christ in his followers. Nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing. will have the power to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Church, amen to that. How about that? That is so great. There, God's love is so big, so expansive. And so that's when the writer says, I just can't even 
the song, I just can't even fill up the words. There's no words for that. There's nothing. God loves you that much. That's, that's what he loves you. And you know, what's so bad about that is that you and I, in our sin, we run away from God. We run from God. I saw a video not long ago. I don't know if you've seen it. I'm, I, my wife, it traumatizes her because she likes uh, deer. And um, she said, this deer got a bucket stuck on his head. And he couldn't get it off. I mean, how can he get it off? And he was running around. People were trying to help him. And I guess, I guess doe season was out because they could have got him a quick one there, I guess. If, But they were trying to catch him, but he ran from them. Wouldn't let him do it. And it finally had about 15 or 20 people out there, and they got him cornered up and caught him and got the bucket off his head. You, you know you and I are like that because we know God loves us, but we run from him. We, we resist it. We fight it. We know that we know in our hearts that we are not like God. We know that we're separated from him. We know that we're sinful people. We know that we know we know much of what's wrong about ourselves, but we run from God. Church, I want you to know that God loves you so much. Come to him. Let him love you. Follow what he tells you. Listen to him. Take his word at at, at face value. Just just like just like he wants us to do. God will not stop loving you under any circumstances. He, and Jesus proved that. He he loved people. He went to the cross even though the people in his own community rejected him. He went to the cross even though the people that knew the most about the word of God called him a hypocrite. Can you imagine calling God a hypocrite? They did. And he loved them. And he went to the cross and died for them. How about that? And and to the Roman soldiers and to the people that had him executed, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, they sure didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know that they had nailed the perfect son of God on a cross to die like a criminal. They didn't know that. And Jesus knew that. That's that's God's love. I, I want you to know how much he loves you. But that's that's not it. That's not all. He gave his one and only son. Number two. He gave his only one and only son. His only son, that's, that's an exclusive term. If you, it means if we were talking human birth, it would be the one and only son that we transferred our DNA from and, and a product of conception. But, but there's no conception here. Christ was with God from the beginning. He had no beginning or no end. All things that were created were created by Him and through Him. That's what John tells us. So Jesus What this means is, is that he is the perfect likeness of the Father. If you have your Bible, turn over to chapter 1 of John, verse 14. You'll see the same word again, verse 14. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son of God. The one and only Son. John wants us to get that. Verse 18. No one has seen God. The one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Nobody saw God. But Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He is an exact likeness of the Father. The one and only Son. He, he is, if you, if you want to know what God is like, and we all do, and we see God in the Old Testament, then, then read about Jesus. When you hear Jesus speaking and teaching, you're hearing God. 
He says, I don't do anything on my own. I do it all because of the Father. He and the Father are one. They are inseparable. Hebrews 1, 3 says, Christ is the radiance of God's glory. The exact, the exact precise representation of his glory. That's who he is. So when you see him, God gave his son to us. That's what he says. God gave him to us. He gave him to us. And you say, well, Jim, what does that mean to me? It means when Jesus says, in my father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back and bring you there to be with me. When he says that, you can believe it. You can you can take it to the bank. You can trust him. When he says that he will forgive you, you can believe that. You can trust him at his word. You can know that that is exactly right. So, church, I want you to know that through the new birth, Jesus is telling us that God has given us his son so that we can see what he what God looks like and how much he loves us. And he gave him to us. He gave him to us and sacrificed to us. He gave him to us to pay our price for our sins. He gave him to us so that we can become acceptable to God. Not because we're acceptable, not because we're a great bargain, because he loves us. I want you to know that. That, That's that's so important to see that. Number three, so that everyone who believes in him. The Greek word here, this believes, is it's it's a it's a present it's a it's an ongoing belief you let me let me be clear with you belief in god is not making a decision when you're 10 years old and living your own life the rest of your life that is not what he's talking about that is not life changing faith belief in god is making a decision maybe when you're 10 or maybe when you're 50 or maybe when you're 30 or whenever you make that decision and and repenting of your sins and walking with Christ until he takes you home and you're never perfect and you're never you're never blameless but you are in the eyes of God righteous it is an ongoing belief it is it is not a one time experience it is it is it is a lifetime whatever that means and some people come to Christ late in their life they get the full benefits of salvation the sinner on the cross Saw paradise that day. But I will tell you, you know, and I, you always have your, your skeptic and, and I've, I've had people when you talk to them about the Lord, they say, well, why don't I just, you know, they know enough about the Bible to be really dangerous. And they say, I'm going to do like that guy on the cross. I'm just going to wait till the end. But they miss the blessing. They miss all, not to mention they may not have that chance, but they miss that blessing. They miss, they miss the fruit of walking with him. They miss the joy of serving him. They miss, they miss the joy of a fellowship. It's great to come together with Christian brothers and sisters and sing and worship. Wherever you are, you can worship. That's the joy that we have in Christ. That's what lifelong belief means. Belief. So that means we have to respond and we have to repent and we have to be washed. And then we live with him the rest of our life. So that everyone who believes, that everyone, church, everybody means everybody. Your translation in King James Version, better than mine, it says whosoever. I love whosoever. 
I like that. Whosoever. There are no exclusions. You're not excluded by your race, by your nationality, by your sex. You're not, you're not excluded by your sin. Whosoever. You can be the worst of the worst. You can be, in your mind, the best of the best. We're all short before God. Whosoever. There's no exclusions. It's a wide open gospel. It's open to people that are like us and the people that aren't like us. Uh, I was talking to a young, uh, or a, a church planner. He's not young. He's my age. Well, young. Okay. Yeah. Okay, young. I was talking to him last night. He's an Anglican church planner. Didn't know there were any of those. He is. He's an Anglican church planner. Church of England, Episcopal Church. They've broken away from the Episcopal Church of USA because it's just too liberal for them. Just, they, he says, he says, our, our, our priest preaches the Bible. I said, that's, praise God, that's a great thing. And, uh, I don't even know where I was going with that, but it's a great story. Oh, I know. He said, he said, they have contact with the church in Rwanda. The church in Rwanda, the Episcopal church in Rwanda, because the Episcopal church in Rwanda also preaches the Bible. And he says, they're sending missionaries to America to preach the Bible because they said America needs it desperately. You see, people that we thought were lost are right where God wants them. God's system is different than ours. Whosoever. I want you to know that. I've known people and I, I never felt that way. I never felt that I wasn't good enough. I felt for a long time I didn't need it. That's just as dangerous though. But there are a lot of people that feel they're just not good enough for God. That they can never, I've had so many people say, I, I just can't stop this or that. I can't, I can't give this up. I can't, I can't change who I am. I can't stop drugs or alcohol or immorality I, I just I can't clean it up you know you can't you can't but God can whosoever whosoever believes in him that's a wide open promise I want you to know that don't walk out of here today and say that's just for church people it's not for church people there are a lot of church people that don't know God but boy there's a lot of people that are desperate sinners and when they realize how lost they are they come to him and they trust him and he forgives them and they're new people they're born new way that's that's what it is so that everybody that believes in everybody listen to this number four will not perish will not perish i could have put four and five together that would have probably gone better shouldn't really have five points in a sermon we got five and a conclusion Will not perish is really important. Because that means, that means there are people that will perish. He is saying that faith is this distinguishing characteristic. Lack of faith brings eternal life. Past and ongoing faith brings, uh, lack of faith brings eternal death. Past and ongoing faith brings eternal life. You gotta know that. Some people are gonna perish. Some, some people are gonna be lost because they don't trust Christ. They're, they have an arrogance about them. I talked with a young man not long ago about his faith. 
And it sounded pretty hopeful. He was pretty optimistic. He listened. He knew the Bible. And he finally said to me, he said, ah, I know. He threw his hands up. I just don't believe what you believe. I'm not ready for this. And that kind of arrogance will send legions of people to hell. Legions of people. And you say, well, that's kind of harsh. That's a tough term. Jesus talked about it. He said in Matthew 7, enter through a narrow gate. For the gate is wide, the road is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Jesus said the road to salvation doesn't have a lot of people on it. So if you feel alone in the world, if you feel like you're not walking with everybody else, you're right where Jesus said you ought to be. If you feel like... I made a decision long ago. I got a little fire insurance. I'm good to go. Because Jesus said following him would be difficult. It would be a daily cross. It would be a struggle to follow him. It is hard to be a Christian in this age, but it has been in every age. The Bible speaks of eternal destruction. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? He talks a lot about this. In fact, Jesus talks more about going to hell than he talks about going to heaven. You have to understand, clearly, some people will perish. Clearly. It is not God's desire. First Timothy chapter 2, uh, Paul writes, he says, um, This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved. Over in Second Peter, you know that passage, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. It is not God's desire to perish. If you and I perish, we do on our own volition, our own decision. We're going to learn next week a verse that is startling. Jesus said this. It's not like you're going to be lost if you don't know Christ today. It's not like you will be lost at some future point when you go into eternity. But Jesus says the one who doesn't believe is already condemned. Already. They stand condemned at this time. Now they can change that by belief and faith. But at this point they stand condemned. It's hard. It's hard. But that's what he says. Enter through the narrow gate. It's not a casual faith. It's going to be a struggle. But fifthly, Jesus said, if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. This is my favorite part. This is what keeps me going day to day. This is how, as a pastor, we can see death and grief and I don't get discouraged by it. Because I know the promise of believers. I've seen believers. You've seen them. You know, I tell you this all the time. You, you, you might get tired of hearing it. The greatest joy of being a pastor is to be able to see people at the worst time. Could, should be, ought to be. For most people, it is the worst time of their life. We look in and say, what a terrible time of life it is. And they're saying, I'm going home. I'm going home. This illness has taken me there. That's the joy that people have in Christ. Eternal life. What, what about that? Let me tell you some things about eternal life. And I found these. I just want, I just, 
Not my ideas, but I, I just want to share them with you. Uh, our eternal life is a triumph of death and infinite over death and is infinite life. Can I don't know if you know what infinite is. I don't know what an infinite is. It's so huge. It's, it does, if you have eternal life, your life will never end. It, it just, and, it, and it's a triumph over death. Eternal life can't be earned or merited. It has to be received as a gift of God. It is a present possession. This is really important and is experienced here, but it also offers a joyful prospect for the future. Boy, I love that. Because if you have eternal life, if you know today that because of your faith in Christ, you have eternal life, you're going to live your life differently. You're not going to be afraid of things. You're not going to worry about who the president is or who the president isn't. You're not going to worry about how the country's doing. You're not going to worry about all the problems in your life. You're not going to focus on the things around you. You're not going to look at the hopelessness of the world. You're going to say, I'm not of this world. One day I'll be in eternity with Christ. How about that, church? That's what we have. That's the promise of living with him today. That's what eternal life, planted in your life today. I don't know how many funerals we've conducted at this church, but I'll tell you, far more than I wanted to conduct. But so many of those folks live confidently, full of life as some disease was taking away everything that they had in their life. And they said, it's going to be a better day. Take me home. Get this thing over with. I'm done. I tell, I tell folks, and I, I'm always careful about it, but I think as watching someone who's terminally ill, you can often see the point that they stop fighting an illness and they say they're looking to heaven. They're through with this world. Now they're just trying to make it better for the people that love them and care for them. But they're done. And that's, that's unique to a believer in Christ. And then finally, eternal life eliminates the boundary of death. Can you, can you imagine that? Your faith in Christ, it eliminates the boundary of death. Death, death has no, it has no sway over you. Death is not your enemy. Death, church, if you are a believer, death is your ticket home. And unless God called us to do work, and that's what he's done. Every believer here, you're called with a special purpose. God didn't save you just to take you to heaven. He saved you to bring more people with you as you go yourself. That's what God called you for. That's our purpose. Because otherwise, we would all say, load the bus, I'm going today. I'm done. But that's God's call. And God should decide that. Let me tell you something if you're young. I wrote this down while I was on vacation. I I thought of this. I said, in the midst of a profitable, healthy life with our friends and family, With our life wide open to the future, with nothing but great choices, eternal life does not sound so good. Earth seems all right. But when we face death of one we love over our own death, the collapse of our health, eternal life is the greatest hope we have. Once all the distractions are drawn, eternal life is the best gift that God gives us. How about that? And that's promised with your faith. I wrote that. That's pretty profound for me. (laughs) I mean, really, I, I don't do stuff like that really well. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Because that's what you need to know. You don't need to listen to some preacher. You need to hear what the Bible says. Paul saw a vision of heaven. He saw what eternal life's like. Everybody asks me about things. You know, the the number one question that people ask me about heaven, will my dog be there? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) 
Richard uh, uh, Alcorn, I forgot his first name. Uh, huh? Randy Alcorn wrote that book, Heaven. You ought to read it. Um, he says that your dogs will probably be there because there'll be nothing in heaven that'll be less than what's here on earth. So if, if you love your little dog here on earth, it's going to be great because nothing. Will, I, so that works for me. I don't know. That's what I tell everybody. But the Bible doesn't say that. But listen to what Paul said. He got a glimpse of heaven. And now Paul wrote all those books in the Bible. He wrote all that stuff. And listen to what he said about, uh, about that. He says, I was caught up into paradise. I heard inexpressible words, which a man is not allowed to speak. The apostle Paul couldn't write about it. It was so grand and wonderful. He couldn't write about it. I, John gives us a picture John's gospel. We're reading right now, John, late in life, as he was in prison on an island, he wrote the book of Revelation. He gave us a picture of heaven. He tells us how big it is. It is a city laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. And it's about 1,600 miles square. That's not real big. It's halfway across our country, and it's as high as it is wide and long. So that's the length of the holy city. You say, well, Jim, we can all live there. Remember, Jesus said there's not going to be a lot of people there. I mean, there are going to be a lot of believers there, but there, that's, you don't need a room for billions and billions and billions of people. But listen to what he said. He said, this is what I love. In, Re- in Revelation 22, he said, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. So where you live and where I live, Where we walk in heaven, the throne of God is going to be right there. And his servants will serve him. You're going to serve him in heaven. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. I think you're going to be more employed, more useful. If you, I I don't know what you're going to do. But you're going to serve God. I don't think you're going to be in a choir. I saw a far side cartoon years ago. And it showed two angels kind of forlorn. They had a harp. They were on top of a cloud. They were kind of sad. And one of them looked at the other one. He said, we should have brought some magazines. (laughs) Listen, that's not what heaven's going to be. You're going to serve God. You're, you're going to be, you're, your mind is going to be more open than it ever was. You're going to learn more than you ever learned. You're, you're going to do more. Eternal life with God won't, it'll be so wonderful. It'll be so wonderful. But here's the part that I read, and I read this so often in funerals because it means so much to me. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. From the throne. Who's, who's saying that? God's saying this. I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God is dwelling with men. And he will live. Can you imagine? On your street, God lives there. He's right there. That's what heaven is. You're talking about fellowship? That's what that is. God is dwelling with men. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is the part that I love so much. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will exist no longer. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have all passed away. They're all gone. We can't even imagine a world like that. We can't imagine. And he says, that goes on forever. It doesn't diminish with age. You don't get tired. It doesn't wear out. You don't get old. You don't get sick. You don't, your kids don't have problems. You don't deal with anything. All of those things have passed away. They're gone. That's what faith in Jesus gives you and gives me. How about that? That's why. That's why. 
we should be committed to him. He has provided that for us. Okay, I know it's my time. Nicodemus, how can this be? How can I be born again? How, why would God do all of this for me? Because he loves me. That's it. I'm not particularly attractive to him. I'm certainly not very useful to him. He doesn't need anything I have. He just loves me. That's why he did it. And and Mr. Lehman, that, that A.J. sang of, you know, uh, this last verse that he had, they, they've always said that they found this, uh, this verse on the wall of an insane asylum, of a bed of a man who must have found God's love before he died. He probably didn't write it. He probably just knew it. Let me read it to you. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. That's us, the guilty pair. That's us. His erring child, he reconciled and pardoned him from his sin. That's the erring child. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the hole that stretched from sky to sky. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. That's God's promise to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Let us not hear it, but let it pour over our hearts. And if there is one today that doesn't know you, I pray, God, that you will lead them to you. I pray that your spirit will make them so uncomfortable they can't sit. If there is one that needs to draw closer to you, Lord, we all need to draw closer to you. Let us do that today. And Lord, if there's one that we need to share this message with that's not here in this place, then also, Lord, deal with us in that way, that we may open up to you how much you love us and care for us. Lord, thank you for this, for your word that's clear, that you've given to us by faithful servants that have unerringly recorded it for us. Lord, let your spirit teach it on our hearts. Move us today as never before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.